Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Daniel Prisbilko. Today, I've entitled the message, A Message for God's People, because that's what I believe it is. Um, when my parents got married, my father, apparently, he so I'm told, he turned up at mum's place and, uh, you know, they had this thing, is, I guess it's like a bride price, but it's, it's a little bit of a game, you know. Dad had to turn up with a wad full of cash and when he, uh, when he came to pick up my, my mum in a, in a nice car that he had rented, uh, he had to give money at the gate to just get in onto the property. And then he came to the house, he had to give more money to get into the house. And then he was asking for my mum and they said, well, what are you looking for her for? And so every little bit, he had to give a little bit of extra money. And it's just a game apparently that they used to play back then in Poland as he came to pick up uh, his, his wife uh, for the wedding day. Now, all of that money ended up in her pocket apparently. Uh, so whatever was collected, she got in the end. Uh, and so I thought that that was a, a funny story regarding, you know, the groom coming for his bride. The Bible tells us, though, that Jesus is coming back. He is coming back like the groom coming for his bride, uh, the church. Um, Revelation tells us, though, of a time just before the second coming when Babylon is judged. And uh, during this time, it says in Revelation 18, verse 23, that the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in Babylon anymore. Why is that? It's because the bridegroom, King Jesus, the bridegroom, is coming. That's why it won't be heard. Now, the question for us is, what's needed to be prepared? What's needed to be ready? How can we be sure that the bridegroom is coming to pick me up? And do we really think that Jesus is coming back soon? You know, some people have been disillusioned because it's taking so long for Jesus to come back. I remember as a child, and I probably shared this before, uh, my family, we bought a farm, a 29-acre farm up in the Adelaide Hills. And one of the reasons I think that they bought it was they believed that Jesus was coming back soon and it will be important for us to own some land in the, in the troublesome times beforehand, a place where we could grow veggies, our own food, etc. Well, that was 45 years ago. 37 years ago, Ash Wednesday came through and ripped everything apart. It burnt all the houses, the sheds, the machinery that we had, all the hundreds of wonderful apple and cherry trees, the orchards that we had there. And eventually, some years later, the farm was sold. Life rolled on. Have we become complacent in the world? You know, my grandparents, they were part owners in, in the farm that we had. And for sure, um, a few decades earlier, I'm sure that they 
being in Poland during World War II, they thought, and they shared this with me, that they thought that the world was going to end at that time during World War II. Today, they await the resurrection. Life rolls on. I saw someone share on Facebook some statistics from an American friend, and I'll read this out. It said, imagine a person born in the USA in the year 1900. At 14 years old, World War I starts and ends when you're 18 years old. There are 22 million people dead. Spanish flu begins the next year and you're 19 and 20 years old and 50 million people die. Then at 29 years old, the Great Depression comes along and lasts for four years. At the end of that, you're 33 years old. At 39 years old, World War II begins and ends when you're 45. 75 million people die. At 52 years old, the Korean War begins and at the end of that, 5 million are dead. At 62, there's the Cuban Missile Crisis and threatens to finish the world as we know it with nuclear weapons. At 64, year old, at 64 years old, Vietnam War starts and ends 11 years later when you're 75 years old. Four million people die. You know, as a child or as a teenager, in 1985, oh, well, I was a teenager in 1985, I may have thought, and some of you may have thought the same thing, that our grandparents did not know how hard life was, but they certainly did. One of my grandfathers, uh, Grandpa Prisbilka, was born in 1907, close to this example that I just read. The other grandfather, Grandpa Lazar, he was born in 1902. And many times I'm sure that they must have wished or prayed that the end would come soon. Thankfully, all of my grandparents today, uh, they are resting, they've gone to their rest, but importantly, they all place their faith and trust in God. They put the important things in life first. And to me, they were great examples of a family living by faith, faith in the Lord. So in a world that regularly seems to turn itself upside down, there's some major catastrophe, something, something serious going on in the world. It, it seems to happen very regularly in our world. What is really important? Jesus wanted us to know. And so he has a special message for us in Matthew chapters 24 and 25. And today I want to look at those two chapters. They're really a continuum, uh, one continuous message right through uh, Matthew chapter 24 and 25. And uh, when I looked at them, I actually saw that, you know, there's, there's like this uh, chiastic structure there. And I just want to share that with you here. Um, let's see, here we go. <clears throat> so uh, in, um, in the beginning of chapter 24, there's a message there to be wary, okay? Uh, and then we see that the message uh, goes on to say, be active while you're waiting. Then it says to be faithful while you're waiting. And finally, it talks about being ready. And, uh, and then chapter 25 is the reverse of that. It talks about being ready. Then it talks about being faithful and active. And then it talks about act, being active and wary. And over all of that, um, 
you know, the, the, the whole point is that Jesus doesn't want to lose you. Jesus wants to save you. That's, that's, the, that's the key thing that's coming through across here. And, uh, you know, in Matthew 24, uh, often we use Matthew chapter 24 when we run evangelistic seminars and things like that. People for people that don't necessarily trust in the Bible or they need their trust, their faith built up in the Bible. Um, we often use Matthew chapter 24, but in essence, Matthew 24 is intended for you. For the believer, Matthew 24 deals with all the external influences in a person's life and um, things that have happened from the apostles' day right down to our day today. Whereas Matthew 25 deals with the internal influences in a person's life. Now, both of these, the external and the internal, can derail a person, derail your faith. Um, get you off course, you could say. But which of those two do you think is more important? The internal or the external? I would say it's the internal, wouldn't you? It's the internal. So let's look first uh, and we'll look briefly at Matthew chapter 24. We see there in Matthew chapter 24, the first point there is be wary. Don't be sidetracked or deceived. And we see there in verses 4 through 8, we see external signs of Christ's soon return. It, said, it talks about rumors of wars and, and rumors of wars. And we can see in the world today, you know, the superpowers of the world, the USA, China, Russia, etc. We can see that there's a lot of unrest around us. And uh, when, we, when we look online, there's a list of all the different countries that are involved in some sort of conflict. There's only about 10 nations, just a small handful of nations in this world that are not involved in any way in any form of conflict. Then it talks about famines. And uh, we can see that uh, through the, the locusts at the moment in Africa and Pakistan and places like that, that uh, there is going to be some serious famines coming on this world later this year and next year. And I guess the, the current pandemic doesn't help that situation. Um, there are earthquakes. And, uh, you know, if you look at the list of earthquakes of six or more, six on the Richter scale, they're as long as your arm already just for this year. Then there are pestilences and we're living right through one of those pestilences at the moment. The world is suffering physically, emotionally, economically, etc. Now, the thing is that all of these things you can die from. Isn't that true? You can die from a war. You can die from a famine. You can die from an earthquake. You can die from COVID-19. True? You can die from all these things. But can someone die from one of these things and be saved? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. So, so Jesus is talking about these external things that affect us, and they can even kill us, but they should not derail us. Okay. The second point here is be active. We need to get some spiritual exercise to grow. And, and in verses 14 and 15, we read about the gospel going to the whole world, etc. And so the, the gospel needs to be preached. We're living in a time when the gospel can go to the ends of the world through the global uh, communication technology that we have today. And I believe that we need to be uh, an active witness, an active participant in, in this uh, gospel going to the whole world. We need to know God and follow God's truth. 
Now, Jesus speaks here about the abomination of desolation in Matthew chapter 24. Essentially, it's a different way of salvation. You know, the church through the Middle Ages brought in various different things into it, and forgiveness of sin came about through a priest or through going to Mass, etc., cetera, uh, rather than going directly to Jesus, as the Scriptures tells us to do. So there's these different Gospels, a different way of salvation that they come in that can derail you as well. You know, a different Gospel can even come into our church. And I've seen different things come, come through at different times in different churches. For instance, you know, sometimes people stress certain things above other things, uh, there's a thing called the last generation theology and perfectionism, uh, and this can derail people. Um, we have sometimes people that come in and they, they come in covertly, uh, sometimes more overtly, but, you know, the anti-Trinitarian um, teachings that come in, it basically lowering, uh, lowering the status, the importance of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And, and these things can also derail people's faith and get them off track. So it is helpful to be active and witnessing in order to be ready. It is very important. We need to know what we believe and then share it. The third point here is to be active, to know the truth and walk in it. The faithful, as we see there in verse 20, Matthew 24, verse 20, will be keeping the Sabbath. Okay, Jesus said, you'll, you know, remember, uh, pray that your flight not be on the Sabbath. So he expected people to be keeping the Sabbath. And we know that the Sabbath will be a big deal in the end time when we see the seal of God on the one hand and the mark of the beast on the other. The faithful people in the end will also be subject to signs and wonders. There will be extreme deceptions in the world, as the Bible says, if possible to deceive even who? The very elect. Now, if you're planning to be faithful in the end, is it helpful to be faithful today? It is, isn't it? And so the last point here is be ready. At the end, towards the end of chapter 24, uh, Jesus is telling us to be ready. It's a daily thing. Remember, Jesus is speaking to the believer here, not the unbeliever. That's why he said, see, I have told you beforehand in verse 25. So even though Jesus is coming as a thief in the night, you know, we read that in the scriptures, he's coming as a thief in the night, the true believer should not be surprised. We should be looking for the real signs of the true coming, Jesus coming in the clouds uh, with all the angels. We know that he will not touch the earth, but rather the believers, the saved, will be going up. His coming will be seen across the whole world from the east to the west. The Bible says as lightning goes from the east to the west. It will be, not be a secret rapture like many people believe. That is just another form of deception. So believers, Matthew 24 tells us, believers will be doing regular daily things as in the days of Noah. We read that in verses uh, 36 through to verse 44. They will be eating, they'll be drinking, they'll be marrying and giving in marriage. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things, is there? Is there anything wrong with eating? <laughs> Not the last time I checked, right? There's nothing wrong with eating. If we don't eat, we die. So, um, 
people would just be doing regular things. They'll be eating as long as you're eating clean food, right? And uh, as the Bible says, not being a glutton. Um, then people will be drinking. Is there anything wrong with drinking? No, there's nothing wrong with drinking as long as what? It's not the strong drink that Bible talks about. And, and you know, the scripture says that drunkards will not be in heaven. So, you know, the, the Bible tells us what we should drink and not drink. Then it talks about marrying and giving in marriage, uh, you know, basically getting engaged and, and getting married. There's nothing wrong with that. Again, as long as it's biblical. And, and, and these days, there, there are things in that realm that are not biblical, aren't they? So people are doing good things. They're not evil people. They're not defying God. But they may not be ready because all their efforts are in this world. So what should be our primary, our daily goal? We need to be ready. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. So it's not about the external things, which true, they may throw us off course, but rather the internal things, the way that we live our lives from day to day. It's about what we put as a focus, as a priority, put first in our life that really matters. And that's what the next chapter is about. Chapter 25 in the book of Matthew. Uh, let me just go here to the next slide here. So first of all, we have the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins. And the message here is to be ready and faithful. Verses 1 to 13, we read there about the five that were wise and the five that were foolish. Five that were ready and five that were not ready. All of them were sleeping. All right. So what's the difference? The difference is that half of them were ready and waiting. They were ready and faithful while waiting. We'll come back to this parable in detail in a little while. The second parable here in Matthew 25 is that um, there, the parable of the talents, there were three servants given different levels of, uh, of, of talents, uh, if you like, by the master. And when the master returns, he finds the one that he gave five talents to, he, he's increased that to... 10 talents, and he's commended by the master, enter into the joy of the Lord. Then the one that got two talents returns four. Again, they're commended, enter into the joy of the Lord. And then there's the one that got just one talent that buried the talent in the ground and had no increase and was sent to destruction. So what's the moral of the parable? Be faithful and active while waiting. Essentially, be fruitful while waiting. The third parable is the parable of the sheep and the goats or the separation of the sheep and the goats. And we see that in verses 31 to 46. And in this parable, the sheep are saved and the goats are lost. Now we note here that both of these animals are what is called in the Bible clean animals. So these people are believers. Both of them are surprised at the verdict of the king regarding their salvation or their loss. Um, the criteria that the king outlines here is what? Caring for the hungry and the thirsty, caring for the foreigner, the homeless, the naked, uh, visiting uh, those who are in prison, visiting those who are sick. But the sheep who were doing these things, 
it seems they didn't even realise they were doing these things. The sheep are the saved ones. They were doing these things, just, it, I guess it came natural to that. They, they were just doing it. They didn't even realise they were doing it. Whereas the goats, they seemed shocked. The goats are the ones that are lost. They seemed shocked because most likely they didn't think that they were doing anything wrong. They had, in fact, been deceived. It seems that there's an underlying character issue here, and that's why both of these groups are surprised. So uh, what's the point here? Be wary so that you're not deceived. God is after a changed character. And changed characters don't look to themselves, but rather look to Jesus because Jesus is the one that can save us. Jesus is the one that can change us. And as we're looking to Jesus, he changes us and shapes us and molds us without us even realizing that there are changes going on. I'm sure some of you would have experienced that. And so it becomes second nature. As we look to Jesus, second nature to, to be doing things, and sometimes we don't even realize that we're doing them. We don't do them in order to be saved. We're just doing it because we want to be like Jesus. So some people say, oh, I know I need to change. I know I need to make some changes in my life. But, you know, when the end time comes, that's when I'll make some changes in my life. You ever heard anyone say that? Have you ever thought that way? Maybe you've thought, you know, until that time, until the end comes, then I'll just live my life in whatever way I like. And, uh, and then I'll change at the end. It's a dangerous way to think. Now, I want to come back to the parable of the ten virgins. And I want to go through that in detail with you here today. Uh, let me just share this. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to open up to Matthew 25, and we'll read here verses 1 to 13. Matthew 25, and we're reading from verses 1 to 13. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were foolish. Sorry, five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And behold, a cry was heard, Behold! The bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him, to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Now, the virgins, who are they? The virgins are basically the faithful believers, those who follow the Lamb. According to Revelation 14, those who follow the Lamb, wherever, they, wherever he goes. All 10 of these virgins are believers. 
all 10 are in the church. It's not like we're talking about believers versus non-believers here. Jesus is talking to us. He's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. And these are not people in the church that, you know, question certain doctrines, for instance, you know, but you might have people in the church like we talked about in, in Sabbath school today. You have people in the church that, yes, they, they, they come along and they enjoy the Christian fellowship and they believe in the Bible, uh, or so they say, but they discount they, 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 they do away with the, the doctrine of creation, let's say, which is fundamental to who we are as Christians, fundamental to who we are as Seventh-day Adventists. doesn't make any sense to keep the Seventh-day Sabbath if you don't agree with creation, correct? So, um, so these virgins, you know, they, these are believers. These are not people that question uh, basic things in the Bible. Then we look at the lamps. The lamps in verse 1, chapter 25, the lamp represents the word of God, the Bible. You know, Psalm 119, verse 105 says what? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Uh, and so these believers, they all have the Bible. These are Bible-believing Christians. The bridegroom in verse 1 is Jesus. He's the one who's coming back for his people. Um, and these people are waiting for the return of Jesus, meaning they are what? They're Adventists. Now, I'm not saying necessarily they're Seventh-day Adventists, but they are Adventists. They are people that are waiting for the Advent. They're waiting for the second Advent, okay? So in that sense, they are Adventists. Um, the wise, in verse 2, clearly the wise are those that take God seriously. In uh, Psalm 111, verse 10, it says, um, it tells us there, the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. So the wise are those who take God seriously. The foolish, on the other hand, despise wisdom and instruction. And here is the key. How many of us like to be corrected? You like to be corrected? Some people actually don't mind to be corrected because they like to improve themselves. Um, my five-year-old at the moment, Alana, is going through a stage at the moment where she gets offended um, when she's corrected sometimes, you know. Not always, but she gets offended, and it's hard to believe that she, she's offended. Uh, I hope it's a stage that she's just going through and doesn't last too long. But, you know, some people, some people never grow out of that. Some people never quite grow up. And it seems today that we have a whole generation in our world even two generations maybe, that is very easily offended. Friends, we know that God is serious about us. But if we're serious about God, we need to take his correction seriously too and be open for change and not react like a five-year-old. The oil is the Holy Spirit, according to Zechariah chapter 4, the presence or lack of the Holy Spirit is the key difference between the five wise and the five foolish virgins. So we know, according to Scripture, that the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit is to convict, uh, to guide, to counsel, to help us. In essence, the Holy Spirit helps us to shape our lives and to change us, okay, to, to make us the, the, the type of person that is fit for heaven. 
And so we're talking here about spiritual growth. We're talking about character development. And the vessels in verse 4 are those that hold the oil, the Holy Spirit. And what's that? That's us, right? That's us. We, um, we know, according to Scripture, that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. True? And we're invited to invite the Holy Spirit to dwell in each of us each day. Now, some people in this world have or have had demons who possess their body. Isn't that true? Clearly, Satan is wanting to take the place of God yet again, as he does in so many different ways. Only the difference is that Satan does so forcefully, whereas we invite the Lord into our lives when we're born again. Then we go on to the fact that they all slept. All 10 virgins got tired in verse 5. All of them got tired of waiting. Have you ever got tired of waiting for Jesus to come again? All of them fell asleep. Now, the question is, what, what do you think? Is, would you say that our church is asleep? Is our denomination asleep? Um, would you say that you are spiritually asleep? And what would it take to wake us up? Is your pastor spiritually asleep? That's the question. Yes, we need to ask ourselves this question. Am I spiritually asleep? Then in verse 6, we come around to this word midnight. At the midnight, the announcement is made that the second coming is, is about to happen. It's a time of great spiritual darkness, and therefore it's at midnight. And so we read there in Matthew 24 that the days are shortened for the sake of the elect. Otherwise, everyone on this earth would perish. Now, um, it's understandable that Seventh-day Adventists might be disillusioned that Jesus hasn't come yet. Uh, the time since the, the end of that 2,300-day prophecy that brought about the great disappointment um, with many of those Advent believers at the time, you know, that was 1844. That's 176 years ago now. Since the time of the start of the Seventh-day Adventist Church or when, when the Seventh-day Adventist Church took on its name in 1863, which was, what, almost 20 years after the Great Disappointment, it's 157 years since that time. Since the death of Ellen White, you know, one of our, our pioneers, our key pioneers, that, which was 1915, it's been 105 years now since she passed away. Well, Noah preached for 120 years, and then the flood came. The intertestamental period, we call it, you know, the time between the last book in the Old Testament and the first book in the New Testament was around 400 years. And then suddenly, boom, John the Baptist comes on the scene and Jesus comes, the Messiah uh, comes on the scene. We read in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3 and verse 9, that uh, the reason that Jesus delays his coming is he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and that all may have eternal life. And so I guess there will come a time in the future 
there will come a time when the cup of iniquity will be full. And if time went on, if God allowed time to go on, then I guess no more people would be saved. And so Jesus comes back at that time. But the question you might have here as we read through this parable is the oil. Why buy oil? Um, <clears throat> the foolish, sorry, the wise tell the foolish that they can't give them their oil. It's not something they can give. They need to go get their own oil. They need the Holy Spirit for themselves and they need to go and buy their own oil. And so the question is, why buy it? Isn't salvation a free gift? I heard one preacher once uh, say that we purchase oil with our needs. I'll say that again. We purchase oil with our needs. You know, Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. What are we heavy laden with? We're burdened with our needs. We're burdened with our sins. We're burdened with many cares in this life, aren't we? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We come to Jesus with our needs. According to Ephesians 2a, salvation is a free gift, yeah? For by grace you have been saved, that not of yourselves, saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is a gift. It makes sense. Salvation is free. It's not something we can uh, buy. It's not something we can earn. Uh, but the message to the end time church, Laodicea in Revelation 3 verse 18, uh, there's this church that is neither hot nor cold. It is lukewarm. And the message that Jesus has for this end time church is, I counsel you to what? To what? To buy. Uh-huh. To buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that means righteousness faithfulness that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed now the question my friends is do you have any needs or sometimes as australians you know we might just say i'm all right thanks we all have needs, but what are they? Do you have any needs? Is there anything in your life that shouldn't be there? Have there been things in your life that the Holy Spirit has brought to your attention and by God's grace, those things have been refined as we read here in Revelation chapter 3. Those things have been, those impurities have been removed in the fire. Or has the Holy Spirit brought things to your attention and maybe you've kind of just swept it under the carpet because it's easier for you to do that? Maybe you've said, oh, God will remove those things from me when he's good and ready. Or when the time comes, I'll make those changes at the time. Friends, God desires to change us from the inside out. We read in Psalm 1 verse 1, blessed is the man or woman, blessed is the person who walks not according to the counsel of the ungodly. You know, the Bible says in Romans 5 verse 20 that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Amen. That's good news, isn't it? 
Jesus is here to help. And it doesn't matter what you have in your life. God can help you with that. That's what grace is. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. That's the good news that Jesus is here to help us. You may have recently heard a couple of Sabbaths ago on the 9th of May, the musician and rocker, Little Richard, died age 87. What you may not know is that uh, he was in and out of the Seventh-day Adventist church throughout most of his adult life. He was even a preacher at one stage. The thing is that he was faithful in the end, and that's good news. He, uh, he gave a one-hour interview on 3ABN in 2017, and uh, I watched it the other week. And, uh, you, know, he, uh, you know, he said that his, his, his lifestyle, his immoral lifestyle that he had been leading was wrong. His last concert was actually in 2014. He was in a wheelchair. Uh, he wasn't actually walking for the last 20-odd years of his life, but uh, he was in a wheelchair in 2014. And uh, there at his concert, interestingly, he gave out to the people that came to his concert, he, ga he gave out um, Steps to Christ. <laughs> it was one of his favourite books, Steps to Christ. And he told people at the concert that they need to get right with the Lord because Jesus is coming back soon. But he also says in his 3ABN interview there that if it hadn't been for the wheelchair, he'd probably still be banging out those notes on the piano and shouting and screaming on the stage. God allowed him to be in that wheelchair to give him time to reflect, to give him time to think, to allow the Holy Spirit to get through to little Richard so that he himself could get right with the Lord. The Holy Spirit let him know in the end that he had to choose. You know, he couldn't continue doing these concerts and have, you know, steps to Christ tucked away in his, in his pocket or under his bed where he used to like to keep it and read it uh, at night. He had to choose between the world and eternity. Friends, our God is a gracious God. And uh, his focus is to help you and me, to help the sinner. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 7.25 that he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Friends, the Lord wants you to be in the kingdom. God wants to develop us, to change us. But we need to allow the Holy Spirit to do that shaping in our lives. When the crisis comes, we find that there are five virgins that are ready and five that are not ready. Let's just go back to our, our, uh, our points here from the parable. We see that five are ready and five are not ready. The ready ones, these are ready in the present tense. They're not getting ready. They are ready. And that's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation, according to Scripture. You know, it's not tomorrow. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. We read in Hebrews 4 verse 7. So those that are ready go into the wedding in verse 10. The wedding is the celebration of the saved, and, and they are translated to the kingdom of God. 
And we read there in verse 10 that the door was shut. God's, God forever shuts that door of opportunity, just like the door of the ark was shut and then nobody could open it and there was no second chance after that. And similarly, when we read about in Daniel chapter 12, how Michael stands up, Michael being Jesus, he stands up from that, uh, that time of judgment. He stands up from the throne room and he returns to this earth and it's over. And that's when we read in Revelation 22, what the, the unjust, he who is unjust, let him be unjust still he who is filthy let him be filthy still he who is righteous let him be righteous still he who is holy let him be holy still and then comes the afterwards afterwards after what this is the last judgment now okay verse 11 afterwards it's 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 after the millennium it's at the last judgment and we see there that some people are surprised they have come up in the second resurrection when the believers, there are believers amongst the lost. How can that happen? And they cry out, Lord, Lord, what am I doing here? I, 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 I'm, I'm in the wrong crowd. How did this happen? Lord, open up for us. What am I doing here? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty, naked, sick, or in prison? But Jesus says, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. What a sad, sad situation, sad words to hear. Friends, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to pick up your lamp, your Bible. Pick up your Bible and make it a living word. Today is the day to ask for the oil, the Holy Spirit, and cooperate with God, not in a time of crisis, not when the shout goes out, Today, years ago, I was <clears throat> working in Micronesia up in the northern Pacific, and uh, I flew across to many different islands as part of my, my job that I was doing there. And uh, a number of times I landed here in, uh, on an island called Kosrai. And uh, <clears throat> it's probably got one of the shortest runways that I've ever, ever had to land on. And uh, every time I landed there, I'd be praying because uh, I think the pilot would always try to land. And as you can see, both ends of the runway are water. <laughs> so if he misses the runway, you're in the drink. And, uh, you know, as soon as that plane hit the tarmac, the brakes would go on so hard. I've never been in, uh, in any landings that are so hard and so furious as, as a landing on the island of Kosrai. But um, while I was there, on the island there, I met a man, and um, this man shared with me that he'd had a dream. He had a dream one time he was sleeping on the beach. You know, up in the northern Pacific, it's pretty warm, and so... He fell asleep and he was on the beach. He had a dream and the dream was as vivid as, a, as if it was real. He said, um, and he dreamt of the second coming. And he was shocked and he was horrified because he realized that he was a lost man. He woke up from this dream and he decided he was going to change his life. He began to search for truth. And he remembered a man that he had seen on the island a number of times. He didn't know who this man was, but in his mind, he, he, 
he felt he needed to go and see that man. He went and saw that man, and it turns out that that man wasn't actually a missionary on the island, and he shared with him the truths that you and I know from the scripture. This man, he changed from being a policeman to a pastor. He changed his life from being a drunkard to being sober. He changed his family from being religious to being faithful. You know, everyone on that island is pretty much religious, but he ended up being faithful. And he changed from being an unruly policeman to being a model citizen. He wanted to be ready, not lost. He wanted his family to be ready, not lost. And he was willing to make the changes that were necessary. He was willing to cooperate with the Spirit of God. How about you? Are you cooperating with God? Are you cooperating with the Spirit of God? You know, if Jesus turned up today, would you be ready? If Jesus turned up today, the shout went out that Jesus is coming back, would you be ready? If the midnight cry went out tonight, would he find you ready? Friends, it's time to get ready. It's time to be ready. Pandemic or no pandemic. Economic collapse or surge. War or no war. Deception or no deception. We need to be ready now. Let's go and make the changes that are necessary. The Holy Spirit is prompting each one of us, I'm sure, in different areas, different aspects of our life. Let's not be stubborn. Get close to the Lord. And then one day, when the final crisis comes, we can be ready with both the lamp and the oil. And we can be amongst those five that were wise. And then when the Lord comes, we have on this picture up here, the Lord will crown each one with that crown of righteousness, which we are not worthy of because only Jesus is worthy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for these warning messages, for these encouraging messages that you have given to us right across Matthew chapter 24 and 25. These are a message for us. These are a message for the church, a message for believers that uh, we need to beware for things that can derail us. We, we need to be aware of what's going on internally within us. We need to be aware how we're living our life. And Lord, help us to be, to be mindful of your will. Help us to hear your still small voice as you speak to us, as your spirit prompts us in different aspects of our life. I pray, Lord, that we may be willing to make the changes that are necessary and that we may be ready. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was made available by the Wallara Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit wallarachurch.org.
from Carly Fletcher's album, No More Goodbyes, next up, it's time to get ready. Sometimes it seems I feel so well We'll keep on going on And I can get so comfortable And make this place my home Remind me, Lord, that there is more Than just the things I see To fix my eyes on Jesus It's time to get ready Today is all that we have We can see the signs are happening Just as the Bible says So don't get caught unaware Now is the time to prepare God is calling me and calling to live for him today to put aside distractions and the things that lead us away to really read our bibles and devote ourselves to prayer to know our dear friend jesus for he is always there it's time to get ready See the signs are happening Just as the Bible says So don't get caught unaware Now is the time to prepare mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? It's time to get ready. It's time to get ready. Today is all that we have. We can see the signs are happening. Just as the Bible says. So don't get caught unaware. Now is the time to prepare. It's time. Fountain View Academy will now sing Saved by Grace. Joy. 
I'm Marilyn, the two-tip lady, who loves to help make your life more simple. I have a question for you. Can you manage time? I've done lots of time management courses, courses that were guaranteed to give me control over my time. And I guess I learned something each time. But I have two simple tips today that will transform your life if you practice them. How many times have you had to go somewhere? You just had to get there by, say, um, well, 11 o'clock, and you're ready to dive out the door, hop in your car and zoom off just in enough time. You go to grab your keys, and oh, no, they're not where you thought they should be. You start running from room to room, yelling to anyone who will listen, do you know where my keys are? Please, someone help me find my keys. And you yell to no one in particular, I've got to have my keys. 
I hate to admit it, but that used to happen to me more times than I care to think about. So my time management tip number one is simply this. Know where your keys are. Oh, the time and frustration it saves. I know because I've mostly known where my keys are now for guess how long? About 18 years. What? Yes, that's absolutely true. So since tip number one is to know where your keys are, then do you want to know how I solve my problem? Well, once upon a time, our kids used to have pet goats and they had a little hook on their collar that they'd have a tether attached to. These hooks are on the end of a dog's leash too. You'll probably know the kind of hook I mean. I bought one of these hooks. I put one on my keys and I simply hook them onto the bag that I always take with me when I'm going out. When I've used my keys, I hook them on the bag again. Simple solution. My two tips are simple, but this one is a profoundly useful time management tip. I've proven it over 18 years. And I'm sure my family are grateful. Are you ready for tip number two? Guess what it is. This is such a simple one too. But I reckon it's the best of the whole lot that I've culled out of many, many time management programs. Here it is. Plan your day the night before. Sometimes things just happen that aren't in your plan. That's life. But if you have a plan, particularly when you first get up in the morning, you know what you're going to do. You'll know the first thing and you'll just get in and you'll do it. It's been written down the night before and you know what you want to achieve. Do this and you're going to start the day feeling successful. Why? Because you simply didn't just let life happen to you. You actually made life happen the way you planned it to happen. In Ecclesiastes 3.1, Solomon reminds us that to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. I'm so glad that God has planned for his purposes to be fulfilled in his time on this earth. He's the master time manager. So here we go, just a quick recap. Good teachers give a quick recap, don't they? All right, first one, what was your first tip? Know where your keys are. And number two, Plan your day the night before. Write it down, then get it done. You'll have such a sense of accomplishment. All right, they're simple tips. Put them into practice and your life will become less complicated and more simple, guaranteed. That's it today from the two-tip lady who loves to help make your life more simple. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.